0: gators breakdown because there's never a dull moment in gator nation the gators breakdown podcast is ready to go i'm your host david waters you can find me on twitter at GatorDave underscore sec sitting right here joining me tonight co-host will miles you can find him on twitter at will miles sec and his site read and and on youtube at read and reaction and Will, we've Chronicled it all throughout the last, what, four or five weeks spring practice all came uh, came to a head last Thursday, the spring game, uh, 10-7 final there, and not a lot of fireworks on the offensive side of the ball. Defense had most of the positive plays for the night, and we got a lot of questions from Gators Breakdown Plus members to get into. Uh, we did this last year, too, uh, and so we'll continue to kind of do it the way we did it last year and answer some questions I know a lot of fans have, and even some, you know, this a lot of these share our, our thoughts and, and interest as well with this Gator football team after spring practice.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, look, I, I think we all sort of walked into this one thinking, um, you know, all spring long, I've been opening up Gators breakdown by saying it's a bunch of lies. And, uh, you know, in some ways, I think this is sort of lying to us as well. And so it doesn't give you a complete picture, but I think it's one of those things where when you see stuff. In the spring game that you've seen in previous spring games or that you've seen on tape before, you go, okay, that sort of confirms that there's not like a giant leap for this player coming or that they still need to work on this or that. Um, You know, we talked about wanting to see stops. We saw quite a few of those. So you're never going to be happy when the defense was as bad as it was last year and the offense is putting in quarterbacks who we're not necessarily sure what their what their ceiling is going to be. There was nobody was going to be happy. If they had put up 45 points, we would have been complaining about the defense that was, you know, 100th last year. And if the defense stops them, then it's the quarterback's fault. So that's the way it is in the spring. Obviously, I think there's some stuff we can glean from it. But, um, you know, until the bullets start flying when they go out to Utah, um, you know, this is going to be one that I think is we're not going to see the full package of the offense or the defense really until we get to that point.
0: Yeah. Still wait and see mode for all of it. That's kind of what it is. We didn't get any questions answered and we were never going to <laughs> after this spring game uh, and that's kind of just the uh kind of the nature of the beast as we kind of said all spring long but we will glean what we can from it as will said we'll live in that bubble of thursday night and maybe the last few weeks and we'll see what it ends up meaning as will said when florida kicks off versus utah and then the 11 games after all right everybody hit that like button hit that subscribe button as we move forward to these questions, subscribe to Gators Breakdown. Get those notifications when we go live. Leave a comment out there. I know a lot of you are going to have your own thoughts about some of these questions out there. Help support Gators Breakdown grow, and you can also do that as well with Gators Breakdown Plus. Link is in the description, of course, at Discord. Uh, the conversation has been going on good there the last couple or last few days since the spring game. Uh, recruiting as well with a big pickup with – feels to me there the safety you can listen to the episode of that of his commitment episode as well as my initial spring game thoughts uh, at about 1:30 in the morning <laughs> friday morning coming back after the spring game so lots to get into uh, on gadget breakdown plus with that conversation on those two items and listen to gadget breakdown plus those recent episodes out there as well so well i'm going to let you quickly Go ahead and announce what uh, you and Nick just put out right before uh, we went live right here on Gators Breakdown with uh, you and, what you and Nick are doing uh, with reading Reaction once again this year.
1: Yeah, so last year we had our first annual, we hoped, um, preseason magazine. It was very well received, but it was also a digital magazine. Um, this year we got a lot of feedback, and the feedback was people wanted a magazine they could actually have in their hands. So we're going to provide that this year. We're going to have a hard copy version. You'll still be able to order the digital version when on the launch date, which is Memorial Day. But we're taking pre-orders now on the hard copies. So if you want a hard copy in your hands by the time the summer comes along, that's going to be 70 to 75 pages. We haven't quite decided yet because uh, there's still Transfer Portal news to come, we're sure. But uh, it's going to be somewhere in that 70-page range, um, all Florida Gators, um, there's going to be some film breakdowns that link to YouTube clips that you're going to be able to you're going to be able to you know take a QR and look with on your phone. Um, a lot of cool features we've added that's new and sort of culling down some of the stuff that we thought was extra from last year. But uh, look, if you want to know what's going on with the team. Um, we think this is a good place to go get information that's specific to Florida Gators. Go to readingreaction.com slash mag. That's readingreaction.com slash M-A-G. You can pre-order it. It'll be shipped to you. Be there by Memorial Day. And, uh, certainly, you know, one of the things we're sort of hoping is people buy this for their fathers, right? Father's Day is coming up really shortly after that. you would be able to give that to them, have that over the summer and be able to read about the Gators getting ready for the season coming up in August.
0: Absolutely. Good work there with uh, Nick and Will last year. Really enjoyed that. Uh, A lot of pitch season magazines out there, but not really Gator specific uh, as detailed as Will and Nick picked together last year. So looking forward to that one uh, once again. So, all right, here we go. Uh, Will, let's start with the, uh, you put out an article as well. Uh, And like I said, I put out an episode uh, after the spring game, kind of maybe just tease your article a bit before we get to these questions, your biggest takeaway on offense and on defense and, Hey, your quote in there was actually come away from this game more encouraged than you might think. Yeah, I mean
1: so I think I think the thing that was most encouraging during the game is that we got a commitment, right? And yeah. then it was a top 50 guy who came in and committed to Florida and and they've now got four of those guys in the 2024 class and that really leaves a sweet taste in your mouth leaving the spring game irrespective of what happens on the field because we all know Florida is building to something. The question is what? Like is it gonna is it gonna, you know, are you gonna hit a ceiling or are you still building to where that ceiling is going to be? And, and the Filsami commit is is significant when it comes to that. But beyond that, the quarterback play i thought we learned a lot about what we're going to get and as long as we have reasonable expectations i think we'll be okay as long as those guys are playing quarterback i think you know if you're expecting 10 wins you're probably going to be disappointed with both of those guys behind center but if you're hoping for 8 that's a possibility and then the defense i i thought I thought the defense had a different aggression and I thought the defense knew what they were doing for the most part when they were out there. You could see they were much more fundamentally sound. The tackling was better. There were a few runs that sort of broke a, a couple of times, but for the most part, I think those were running back plays that, where the running backs made a play. It wasn't necessarily the defender. There weren't broken coverages. There wasn't. There weren't guys running free all over the place. Um, You know, there wasn't the types of things that we saw, even in last year's spring game. Um, The defense just seemed to be much more fundamentally sound, and so that's what Florida's going to need. We know that they're going to need the defense to be significantly better than it was last year. And last year they were like 105th or something in yards per play. They're not going to be – like 70th isn't going to be good enough. 50th might not even be good enough. But if they can get into that 20 or 30 range, one, I think Austin Armstrong will have done a really nice job. I think he's probably going to end up in the 50 to 60 range, somewhere in there. Um, But if he ends up in the 20 to 30 – He will have done a really nice job, but it will also allow guys like Mertz or Miller to make some mistakes, to miss some throws, to rely on the running game, play sort of the game management stuff like Will Muschamp did back in 2012 where he had Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. And Driscoll, at least at that point in his career, was not ready to carry the team. I mean, if you think about the Texas A&M game that year, he hits one long play. They managed to shut down Johnny Manziel in the second half, and all of a sudden, Florida's able to pull out that game. And, it, you know, I'm not sure we necessarily knew how good AM was that year. And then all of a sudden, AM's beating Alabama later in the year. So, um, you know, that's sort of the best case scenario coming out of this. But the fundamentals, the things that just have to be second nature, seem to be there, especially in the running game. And so that's why I sort of come out of it maybe more encouraged than I would have been going in because um you know look the defense was so bad last year there's so many young guys coming in you're like well it's got to be better but the fact that we're seeing it be better because they're in the right place in the right spot and playing it with the right technique that to me starts to give hope that uh that things are going to turn around
0: well on the defensive side you know what i didn't notice live so much as i did in watching the replay yes the aggression the the pressure that the defensive front was putting on these this offensive line and these quarterbacks, it was basically so many times the perfect example of simulated pressure and creepers because while it looked like Florida was bringing five or six defenders a lot of times and don't get me wrong times they were but most of the time, it was four guys. You just didn't know which four it was. So, it, as we've heard the last couple of years, so many times the simulated pressures and creepers and, you know, not just knowing where the rush is coming from, that's what we got a lot of Thursday. And it, it looked like a lot of times it was five or six defenders rushing. But, no, it was just four guys. The offensive line just confused which four was actually coming. And I thought, you know, really, really did a good job for the most part. As I said, there were times when it was five, there was six. Uh, but for the most part, you seeing those those blitz packages it was really just coming from forward not necessarily more than that they weren't outnumbering the offensive lineman to get the advantage most of the time
1: yeah. I mean, I guess that's good in some ways and bad in some ways, depending upon how you look at it. Right. Obviously the quarterbacks afterwards were saying they ran a vanilla offense, but then they were late getting the ball out a lot, which, you know, there were times where there were sacks that I wouldn't necessarily put it on the offensive line. Yeah. You know, you count, you count the four, you count the five, the ball, it's got to be out of there. You can't double clutch. You got to get it out when you've got an opportunity to, um, Obviously, it could be a negative on the offensive line. And there were a lot of replacements in there. I mean, you know, you don't have Mizuka, who who's in there because of an injury. You, you had Roderick Kearney at center. There were a lot of bad snaps. So things are a little bit unsettled there. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff on the offensive line. And then, you know, continuity has been a big thing for Florida's offensive line over the last couple of years. There's not a lot of continuity with uh, with Ethan White and Michael Michael Tarquin leaving and, and Richard Garage as well not a lot of continuity. And so you would expect there to be some communication issues when there's stunts, when there's, you know, like you said, simulated pressures and creepers, those sorts of things. And, and I didn't feel like Armstrong really held all that much back. It, it mm-hmm. felt like they made, they made the quarterbacks address post snap adjustments and coverage. Um, like you said, they were bringing guys from all over the place. The touchdown pass that Miller had was actually a corner blitz coming in from the side. And then he got flushed from the pocket, even though he probably shouldn't have. But that blitz really left a guy wide open against the safety, and Miller caught him late, but he was open pretty much from the jump. And so, well, I know, saw again, twice,
0: two plays in a row, Jaden Hill at nickel has come
1: flying in. Right? Well, look, I mean, they're going to bring pressure. There's no doubt about it. And the one thing that I that I said when Armstrong was hired is, get ready because he's going to make a lot of big plays and he's going to give up a lot of big plays because that's exactly what he did at his previous stops. He's not afraid of giving up a huge play. Now, the good news is is that Florida's defense last year gave up a ton of huge plays but didn't actually make any plays, right? I mean, the sacks were down. The tackles for loss were down. The quarterback never felt anything. And so the only time I really think a quarterback felt somebody coming was the Dexter play where he came up the middle on on Jaden Daniels for LSU. He throws the interception, but then they, they landed on all him back. and they call roughing yeah. the passer. That's the only time all year, maybe against Haynes King and Texas A&M, they made him feel it a little bit. But, you know, Florida defense is 10, 15 years ago. I mean, you knew coming into the swamp, you were going to be sore at the end of the game if you were quarterback. And there were plenty of quarterbacks who started seeing ghosts. And so this, in some ways, is sort of the maybe reemergence of that, where these guys at least are going to start seeing ghosts. And if you're going to give up those huge plays, then you may as well get to the quarterback every once in a while, because Florida couldn't do either of them last year. So. There are still going to be big plays on this defense. I, I don't think that the defensive, I don't think that the secondary is gifted enough to cover up when when guys don't get home on blitzes and those sorts of things. And there will be better offensive lines that Florida will play than that you know sort of cobbled together offensive line that they had in the spring game. At the same time, the fact that you're talking about the starters, right? The starters were the guys who were getting the pressure. So um, you know, guys like um kamari wilson has five sacks or five tackles kimber has six shamar james has three with a sack you've got manny dunnery with a sack you've got scooby williams with a sack you've got um human Milan and sap with a sack each so these are guys we expect or have already been major contributors this wasn't something where it was like okay sort of the the random backups who aren't really going to get to play very much are the guys putting the pressure on this this is the guys that they need to have get, put pressure on and they're starting to get that
0: all right, here we go. Let's get to the questions, Will. We'll go Graham Mertz style to begin with. South Florida Don, is Mertz just plug and play for this year until Lagway is ready? And JF Gator fan, after seeing the spring game, if we get solid O-line play and a running game is what it was last year, do you think Mertz is serviceable enough to get us to eight, nine wins next year? And I'm glad the way he phrased that question, Will, because I, I was on a, a few radio shows last week and – that's kind of where I was like, yeah, you know, I'm expecting a jump on defense, kind of like you just alluded to, uh, and, and Austin Armstrong's maybe jumped to that, you know, 50-60s range on defense. Uh, the run game being there as well, I don't think that's going much of anywhere. It's, it's going to, you know, I, I still think be a pretty good run game this year. So that puts me, okay, far, that, right there is six, stretching it maybe seven wins worth, I think if you have an improved defense and the run game is where we think it is. Is the quarterback play good enough to get you seven, eight, nine, maybe more? But you know, that's that's stretching it as well. Uh, but you know, I think it is gonna be on quarterback play to get you past that six, seventh win range. And, you know, going go going with that, I I Thursday night didn't tell us if it was if if Graham Mertz was going to be able to get Florida to eight, nine wins. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think we can make too much of that. Uh, But, you know, coming into spring, I wasn't necessarily thinking he could. And coming out of spring, I'm not necessarily saying he can either because uh, we didn't see enough. We don't get to see enough during spring. The one time we do get to see it, there's nothing there Thursday night that tells me Graham Mertz is going to lead Florida to eight, nine, maybe possibly more wins. No, I can't sit here and say he's going to. And then going back to the first part uh, of of the questions here, you know, is Mertz just plug and play this year until Lagway is ready? Well, remember, you know, he's got two years. Uh, so you know, if he doesn't get it done, you would assume next year somebody comes in and gets the job, uh, you know, take, take it taking over uh, from Mertz. But yeah, I mean, I I didn't see anything Thursday nights or even hear anything throughout spring to make me think that you know, Graham Mertz is good enough. To get Florida to eight, nine wins, you know, not to take the easy way out. If you're making a prediction, or if you're telling me to make a prediction for Florida to get to eight, nine wins because of merch, now I know I can't see it. Eight may be stretching it. Uh, that would probably be the top, as far as what I've seen so far, that would be the top of what I'd go to, would be eight wins. But it's hard to sit here and know for sure based off of, all right, I feel pretty good about an improved defense. I feel good about the running game. That gets me six, seven wins. I have to see quarterback play first before I can sit here and say eight nine wins for Florida. Yeah, I mean look, I think I think
1: the spring game in many ways is a confirmation of what many of us have seen when we've looked at the Wisconsin tape, right? I mean, the question was, is Wisconsin Mertz who we're going to get, or is there going to be a major upgrade from Wisconsin Mertz? I think Wisconsin Mertz is probably who we're going to get based on what we saw. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe it turns out that it was really vanilla and that, uh, you know, things are going to be turned up a notch when he comes out there. But, you know, look, I, I think it all comes down to expectations, and I think the expectations for Graham Mertz should be that he's slightly better than he was at, than he was at Wisconsin, but I don't think that just putting him in the shotgun is going to magically make him a different quarterback. I think he probably is who we saw there. And so if you look at Florida's schedule, McNeese, Charlotte, Vanderbilt have to be wins, and really at Missouri as well. I think they probably get Arkansas, though that kind of depends on K.J. Jefferson, but they get them towards the end of the year, and they're going to be beat up after going through the SEC West. You figure losses to Georgia, losses at LSU – and now I've, I've got five toss-ups because I think Florida State was kind of lucky last year in many respects, sort of peaked towards the end of the year. Sometimes that's hard to recapture. Um, if anything happens to Jordan Travis before that game, that could be a game that really is a toss-up. I think at South Carolina is a toss-up, depending upon how Spencer Rattler plays. I think at Kentucky is a toss-up. Kentucky, I didn't, I do not like Will Levis as a NFL prospect. I didn't like him as a uh, as a college prospect. And so um, I think maybe Kentucky is going to be better. I think Tennessee with Joe Milton is going to find out Hinton and Hooker was really, really good. And then you've got at Utah, but Cam Rising is going to be coming off of a knee injury. They expect him back, but if he's not, Utah's been pretty impotent on offense when Rising's gone down over the last couple of years. And so, you've got five toss-ups. So, I've got them down for five wins, McNeese, Charlotte, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and Missouri. Um, and then I've got those five toss-ups that I mentioned with the two losses to Georgia and LSU. So, you only got to get three of those to get to eight wins, right? And I think it's possible, but it's going to be really hard to do with Mertz because he's just going to have to have his good games in those games that are toss-ups and the garbage games against Georgia and LSU. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just going to have to be timed right. You know what I mean? And and in many ways, that's kind of what the story was last year. If Anthony Richardson played terrible against Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee, but then it played much better against Vanderbilt and and some yeah. and you know Florida State, and and then K- all of K- a sudden Kentucky. So- in, In Kentucky, and, then, yeah. Yeah, then then Florida wins, right? And Florida wins more games than six last year just because of the timing. He was so up and down that sometimes he was up when the defense was terrible or they were playing an excellent opponent, and Florida wound up losing that game and sort of wasted the performance from Anthony Richardson. And so that's the question. I if you asked me gun to my head, what am I doing? I'm picking the under, I'm probably picking seven if Mertz is in charge for the entire year, but look, I don't think Billy Napier is stupid. I think mm-hmm. he's, he's left open the option of bringing in a kid through the transfer portal and has not been shy about doing so. And so the idea that the guys who are on the roster are going to be the guys when, when they kick off in August, um, you know, that's not for sure yet. And so where Florida ends up, I think in many ways will depend on how they feel and how they've seen in spring camp. Cause you know, Nick Knudsen, um, Got to give him credit for this. He texted me afterwards. He's like, Well, we got two good backup quarterbacks. <laughs> I'm like, Yeah, that's kind of what that looked like. And so, you know, if you have a backup quarterback in the SEC, eight wins usually kind of a rough one.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, it was just the spring game. As we said, offensive linemen uh, dispersed. Um, Kingsley, Guacan's not there, not there. So backup centers doing uh, taking place out there. Uh, a lot of the drives stalling because of bad snaps and stuff. Did we get the best around the quarterbacks? Either no, absolutely we did not. You know, and if that was better, then maybe uh, you know the the questions coming in, and you know the thought is is a little different uh, if the play around the quarterbacks is also uh, a bit better. So you know, for what took place Thursday night, all I can say is you know the question certainly should still remain uh, w- with this quarterback battle, and I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to disagree uh, too much with that. Thursday night did not tell us you know if. Either one of these quarterbacks are you know, ready to take Florida at just, just, just to the next step of you know, getting out of that six and six regular season range. We did not get that answer from what we know throughout spring and certainly Thursday night. So, all right, well, let's keep it going. And you've kind of you know, introduced it, and this is a really good topic here. Uh, we'll stay with quarterback. Gators in 15 says, Do you believe Napier goes the Austin Simmons reclassification? reclassifying route or transfer portal quarterback route. Napier seems to have a plan for a quote plan for the future process guy. So it would seem he prefers Simmons reclassifying. And then Patrick goes uh, another part of this says, I'm curious what your guys thoughts are on Austin Simmons reclassifying and whether or not you think it's a good strategy for the future of the program. Based on the information I've seen out there, it seems likely that it happens, but is it the right move? What value does that add to the team if he's going to come in and sit behind Mertz Miller for at least a year? Or do we think he's good enough to come in and contribute right away? So, big Austin Simmons feature here. And from Will, everything I can gather, still asking around people. I know he said 2025 is still the plan. I'm hearing it's probably still reclassifying, and 23 is the plan. Uh, So, it does, you know, I, I guess what we can go to the question. If it's one or the other, now I do think there's a possibility of both happening if the right transfer quarterback is out there that both happen. Maybe he reclassifies and you bring in a transfer. Maybe. I mean, that's maybe wishful thinking uh, a bit, but also you don't necessarily know who all is going to hit the transfer portal. But one or the other will. Bring in Austin Simmons, reclassifying from 25 to the 2023 class. Or transfer quarterback routes. Uh, you know, what do you think would be a good strategy for the future of the program?
1: I mean, I guess it sort of depends on why you're bringing him in to reclassify in 2023. Right. If you're bringing him to reclassify to 2023, is it to play him this year? That that's that's a tough road to hoe, right? Mm-hmm. To get a guy coming in in the fall, true freshman. Um, you know, already a really young guy. Anyway, granted, I think he's 17 years old, but still. That's young to be starting in the SEC. He's got a lot of skills, but what do you actually gain by having him in there other than maybe getting him in camp early and having the ability to get him a full year of prep for the battle against Lagway in 2024 when DJ Lagway comes in? Um, if that's the goal, then yeah. I mean, at that point, you're now preparing for the future And you're allowing him to learn and sort of learn how to work. And one of the things you've really heard about Mertz, and I think it's probably true, is that Mertz is a guy who knows how to work. He's doing things the right way from the standpoint of he's in the film room. He's in there extra. He's putting in the extra work. His car is the one people talk about being the first to be there and the last to leave. And so that's a that's a valuable thing for somebody to come in and learn that that's the kind of time you have to put into it and even if it ends up being unsuccessful for mertz then that even further reinforces hey like it's not guaranteed just because you put in that time that you're going to be successful like you have to have the physical skills you have to put in the time and then you have to go execute when you're out there so i think from that standpoint it maybe makes some sense but again i think it sort of goes back to what are you really trying to do And, and if you look at sort of where Florida's top-tier talent is going to hit, assuming that Billy Napier keeps recruiting like he is in 2024. What you don't want is Austin Simmons going to the NFL in 2025 if he turns into a star when or after 2025, if 2026 is when all your stars are going to hit. Right, You do kind of need to time that correctly. And if you think about like the way Clemson built their program, Taj Boyd comes in, and they were still sort of building at that point. So they won 9, 10, maybe even 11 games. I think they, I think they got to the Orange Bowl and got absolutely smoked one time. And it wasn't until they got Deshaun Watson and that they were really able to rise to that national championship level. That may be what you're trying to do here, but the fact that you're only going to have one year of separation between um, Simmons and Lagway, irrespective of what you do, means you really got to figure out how to stack it. The one thing that would be terrible is if you had them both come in 2024 because yeah. then, then you don't get to use either guy but um I, I guess i'm sort of a long a long play person here like i look at it and i go i would rather have the two elite quarterbacks in 24 and 25 than bring in a guy late in 23 like if he was an early enrollee in 23 then i think they' right. for it yep. but since he's not an early enrollee and he's not competing for the job you're getting him fourth you're getting him f- fourth string reps like what kind of reps are you getting during fall camp when you've got a battle going on max brown has to be ready to go and you're just sort of trying to teach a young kid so i think it depends now if napier thinks he can really compete for the job well hey then you bring him in now i think that says some stuff about what they have in the quarterback room right now if you think he can compete for the job but if you're going to give him the job you're gonna give him an opportunity and you think he's that skilled then sure but otherwise i think you delay to 2025 that way you can stack those guys 24 25 and you're looking at having good quarterback play out to 2028 or 2029 which then means you have the opportunity to build slowly in the recruiting. And look, I mean, it's all about hope, man. Like the the reason that people were fed up with Dan Mullen is because when Emory Jones didn't pan out and he wouldn't play Anthony Richardson, there wasn't any hope anymore that the program was heading in the right direction. I think if you've got these guys coming in back to back in 24 and 25, it's going to be hard for anybody to make a case that you, that a change should be made. So just from a risk aversion standpoint, you'd figure it would make sense for Napier to stack him in
0: 24 and 25. Yeah, it does. Um, with you know, he's going to be missing two years of of high school football in leading a team in his junior year and senior season. So we've seen the reclassification of one year and and not really hurt guys of missing that senior year. But what would it mean to miss a junior and a senior season uh, and all that experience you would garner uh, as a, a as a high school athlete those final two years? So uh, you know, all throughout the reports and that that we've heard from Austin Simmons is he's been putting in the work and, and but that's just. You know, that's, that's work on his own. You know, what about work with 10 other guys around you for your junior and, and senior season? So, you know, what effect would that have? I think is worth asking that question. We don't really know uh, with this being a very unique situation of classifying, especially at the quarterback position, reclassifying for two two years. So, uh, Will, yeah, it, it does it, – it is hard to know what the plan would be for this year for Austin Simmons. It, would it be – you know, if it doesn't work out, then you got those four games where you know you, you don't burn a red shirt you know, if you play in four games, would it be you know, maybe to toward the end of the year, which I would think would line up unless you said unless he's just absolutely magical and comes in right away and somehow competes for the job? You know, if he doesn't, you're probably looking at getting his feet wet, getting acclimated to the game in fall camp, and then you know running scout team, and maybe getting reps here or there throughout throughout the uh, practice. Uh, but then maybe the last four games of the season, or if it times out that way, maybe getting some reps into where he's got some reps to go up against DJ Lagway uh, in, in 2024 and setting up an epic quarterback battle there. Uh but the I do think if it's hard to get a gauge on why you bring him in this year if you're not going to play him and maybe even redshirt, and then it's kind of is the same. It's the same class. It's the yeah. same class then. Yeah, when you redshirt him but with him and Lagway. So it, it it's it sets up a great quarterback battle for one thing, Will, and that's one thing that that that's not a bad thing when you come and look at it. Uh, so, you, you know, um, I I look at it actually from a culture perspective. It feels like Billy Napier's been very
1: careful about building the culture. And look, yeah. Austin Simmons might be a really really awesome guy, but my brother's three years younger than me, and when I was a freshman and sophomore in college, I wanted nothing to do with him. Like, I love my brother, but like the level of maturity between 15, 16, and 17 years old and 20, 21, and 22, like, you make a quantum leap. Now, part of that is you leave home and you go to college and you sort of (laughs) become responsible for yourself and all that sort of stuff. So he'll be making that leap but there's just a maturity that comes in those years. That's very, very obvious. Um, you know, the same as there is between like a 12 and a 15 year old. And so, you know, that's the thing I'd be looking at is, you know, how many of these guys want to hang out with their little brother? Um, Cause that's what it's going to feel like, right. It's going to be some guy who's like from a, almost a different generation. When you think about it in terms of like the things that they like and the music they listen to and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we hear all the time, like Stetson Bennett last year was what, like 32 years old and he was playing for Georgia. And I mean, like, You heard all the time about Tom Brady like not having anything in common with his teammates, right? He's 45 years old playing with a bunch of 21-year-olds. And Brady made it work, obviously, because Brady's the best we've ever seen. But I'm actually really interested to see what happens with Aaron Rodgers this year going to New York because it's going to be a culture shock to have somebody who's 38, 39 years old around a bunch of 20-year-olds. And so the age I actually think doesn't make a difference in terms of whether he can play or not. I think he's going to be able to play on the field just fine. The question to me is the locker room, the culture, the leadership aspect that you need from the quarterback. And, hey, maybe Simmons has that, and mm-hmm. and if he does, and look, I think if you're reclassifying him to 2013, you're telling us all we need to know about what was going on behind the scenes in spring camp because that that's a – we need as much competition in here as we can, and we're hoping we can hit lightning in a bottle um, early on because um, – Otherwise, why do it? I just don't see the point in doing it
0: unless you're going to get him out on the field. I mean, granted, you know, you would have had Jaden Rashada coming in this twenty three class. You know, that's kind of and we've would have been screaming for him to play, right? And you know, he would have been a early enrollee going through spring practice. That's why it is a bit different. Uh, you know, it's not minus the age part, but do you have the early enrollee part going through spring practice, uh, getting those reps, and you know, now, you know, and having a battle between. Uh, mertz miller and probably rashada that's that. that's the difference yeah you might be bringing them in the same class but still two years difference and then not going through uh, spring practice is the big difference there so uh all right let's keep it going and gator bait says when will we have some of the injured offensive linemen back and i don't think the is serious he should be back for fall mazuka sounds like he should be back for the fall as well maybe take some time and i hope that uh, that one doesn't get uh i saw him on the field after the game uh but he is of course arm in a sling after that shoulder surgery uh so we'll see what that means and hopefully he is back i don't it's definitely not season ending you know, hope to have him all the way back uh for fall camp those are the only two we should probably only really worry about of course there were some other injuries as well up front for the offensive line but those are the two key cogs that need to come back for the Florida offensive line of course but you know jenna farmer uh, injured throughout spring practice as well um so you know yeah you like you bazooka aguakin are only only two Will, that we really need to worry about making sure they're in this rotation you want when august comes roll rolling around fall camp starts those are the two guys you want back and um put in that you know to figure out that starting five along the offensive line because we we said all spring you know with those two guys you know you throw in Richie Leonard you throw in um Jake Slaughter you throw in Najee Harris now as a true freshman who got a lot of first team reps in the spring. when you're starting to go, you know, you're starting to go your eight, maybe eight, nine deep there once you start adding all, all those transfers that came in as well along this offensive line. So you want those two guys in there to get that eight, nine man rotation.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, to me, the offensive line all, all boils down to continuity. Like these guys are all new, there's a ton of turnover. Um, you know, we need to make sure that they all understand the scheme that they've gotten the reps that are necessary. And and they're sort of doing it backwards, right? Normally you'd get your starting five the reps and make sure that they were ready to go and then you'd start working in your backups maybe in fall camp to make sure they're ready to come in to back up. and that you've got guys who are cross-trained and all that sort of stuff in case somebody goes down this they should just gonna have to do it backwards they're gonna have to have the uh they're gonna have to have the backups got cross-trained right now and the starters are gonna have to get the the timing in fall camp but as far as the injuries are concerned from everything i think that you're hearing and i'm hearing it's pretty much these guys are expected to be back by fall camp and as long as they don't re-aggravate then we should have guys we should have guys who are going to be able to, to to generate that continuity at least in fall camp uh before before they head out to utah
0: all right and well let's keep going because something that could upset that just a bit will maybe not upset but uh turn out in a good way for the gator swamp chomp 305 he asked is it a good strategy good strategy to go after the trenches in the portal versus high school Uh, First of all, at least this to me, and this is overall recruiting for me right now, early in a tenure, and especially with the way the transfer portal works. Now you go after the transfer portal, Uh, especially in the trenches, especially the way it worked out for Florida with Ethan White and and Tarquin going on to USC. You had no choice but to go hit the portal to build build your numbers back. Sounds like they got some quality offensive linemen there. So at least this early, I say. In the trenches, yeah, Florida had to hit the portal. Now down the road, uh, if, you know, if the development is good along the offensive line and down the road, every other position, maybe you don't have to hit the transfer portal as much, and you pick and choose and cherry pick who you need to go get. Uh, because you don't have to rely on it so much as you do right now, building your numbers back up and building your building your team back up. Uh, but for Florida, right there and keeping that storyline going, just talking about the injuries Florida was just going through, will. I'm still hearing behind the scenes at least one or two offensive linemen being targeted in the transfer portal. Florida's not done uh, targeting offensive linemen, and we'll see if they end up getting a couple. But do not be surprised if one or two, especially at a tackle position, if Florida still goes after some transfer offensive linemen. Yeah, I mean, I think we're – we were underwhelmed by the
1: recruiting class that was brought in on the offensive line last year, at least from the numbers perspective. And so some of those guys may end up transferring out, right. They may end up behind some of the guys. It's, it's not a coincidence that Rod Kearney's getting a lot of love that Niza Harris is getting a lot of playing time. And so those guys are sliding in front of other guys who are going to be looking to go someplace else. And if you can then upgrade by bringing in somebody through the transfer portal, I think you do that. You, you mentioned the key word there, which was numbers. And that's really what I think dictates whether you build through the portal or whether you build through high school when it comes to positions, especially early in the tenure. Like, if you can't bring in the elite guys, the king, the, uh, the, the and Lolas of the world on oh, the oh. offensive line, then you're fine going after the guys in the transfer portal and, and finding guys who are experienced who can sort of bridge the gap. Um, but if you're taking a guy in the transfer portal instead of Oak and Lowland, then I think you're misguided. So I think it really sort of depends on the quality of the guys you're bringing in through the high school ranks. And then depends on, honestly, the quality of the guys you can get in the transfer portal. And, you know, obviously Florida's gotten some good ones through the transfer portal the last couple of years. Um, you know, Cyrus Torrance has a brick now. And, yeah. you know, Mazuka is somebody that I think we're looking to sort of be able to follow in his footsteps. Certainly has the pedigree there at Baylor to be able to do that. There's been some drama around him this spring. Um, so, you know, I I don't think it's I don't think it's a one or the other strategy these days. Right. I think it's an either or based on your scholarship limitations, who you can sign and and a whole host of different things. And when you think about the number of players Florida has signed over the last 2 years, it's like 40, 39 and so just to get to 85 scholarships, you've got to bring people in for the transfer portal, especially considering all the guys who've left both to go to the NFL and the transfer portal over the last year. So you've got the scholarships. If you've got to commit a year to one to a guy who can come in and fill a gap, hey, that's fine. But if you're going to commit three years to him, you better make sure that you're not giving up something on the back end through the high school recruiting. And I think that's sort of the balance that these coaches have to play.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, we'll continue that question. What do you think the biggest hurdle – for the Gator staff is facing regarded offensive line recruitment the past few years. Is it due to lack of trying resources or just the evals don't match with the recruiting site's projections? And that's also from Swamp uh, Swamp Chomp 305. Uh, biggest hurdle was Dan Mullen and John hevesy for a few for a few years. I mean, that was the biggest hurdle. Uh, since you know, he, he did ask about the past few years. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, as we'll kind of just said in the last couple of years, and even the start of this recruiting cycle, we still haven't seen those big time top prospects, especially with what Florida I mean, this staff has done as far as developing offensive linemen back at Louisiana and now just Osiris Torrance and putting those guys in the league and, and having success there. Uh, you'd like to be able to sell that success uh, on the trail, but well, I mean, this just popped in my head. It does seem like, you know, even going back to urban Meyer, you know, there does seem to be, you know this. Um, maybe each staff has this position to where you know they just have trouble recruiting. I mean, Urban Meyer couldn't recruit running backs to save his life. <laughs> so I mean, there was just one position right there to you know do at least to where you know part of this where the is not matching the, the 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 projections. Of course, you know, yeah you can get some good guys and and we'll see where it goes down the road. But you, know, you missed your Samson Okalola's like you said the, the, the last class. Um, but going through the the list here. He says, due to lack of trying, you know that was seemed to be the last staff, and you know kind of got you in some trouble here. Resources, yeah, I think that was part of it too. You know that that, those two things paired together was why recruiting was nowhere near where it needed to be for Florida uh, for 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 a few years, and hopefully that's coming back around now. Uh, And maybe yeah, maybe some of the evals. Now we'll give the last staff some credit as far as evals go, and. You know your Michael Tarquin's, your Ethan Whites, your Richard. Uh, well, Richard Garage was hi- highly there, but uh, you know Austin Barber, who's going to be played a lot of snaps for you last cycle, comes around this cycle as well as one of your starting tackles. And, you know you, you you look. You know some of those evals that were just on the team or on the team now, uh, playing out, but they're also will still a good bit that on the team, uh, and. If you go through and look at it, you know your Riley Simons of the world, you William Haroz of the world. Those guys still on the roster, not really contributing. Seems like they've already been passed over. Especially if you go and look at the spring game last week as an example, and not really hearing a lot from those guys. Uh, all that, all that contributes, but in the end, yeah, th- that is a hurdle for Florida. It's just being able to knock out of the park a lot of those highly rated offensive linemen. Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, the obviously Dan Mullen had his warts and recruiting
1: was one of them and, and that turned into the thing that sort of undid his tenure there. Uh, Bill Sykes wrote a really good article for Reading Reaction a year or two ago detailing some of the struggles with offensive line recruiting. It was not just Mullen. I mean, it was Mullen, back to McElwain, uh, back to Muschamp, the offensive line. lineman. Geez, you remember, I think it was the year mm-hmm. that uh, McElwain took over. They didn't have enough offensive linemen to even have a spring game. Um, so it, it's been a long time. Part of it is is that Florida is not a hotbed of offensive right. line recruiting um it just isn't and and so when there is an elite prospect you really have to lock him down the other part of that is is that florida or that that clemson and georgia and alabama have been coming down into the state and taking those guys out when there is an opportunity and florida hasn't been able to keep them there now you know look i think the the Jaden rashada stuff people don't want to talk about but what it indicated was that there was um that there was um there were gaps in terms of communication and gaps in terms of everyone rolling in the same direction when it came to bringing recruits in. And, and, you know, I think you even mentioned a couple of times that NIL seemed to catch these guys a little bit by surprise in terms of how quickly it accelerated the inflation around it, the numbers that were thrown around with Rashada, whether they're true or not. um, Those are staggering numbers that indicate that things sort of got out of hand really quickly in terms of, in terms of valuation. I think they've got a handle on that now, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's really what the success you're seeing in this 2024 class is suggesting is that they've started to get a handle on that particular aspect of things. And so Look, Billy Napier, the 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 feedback from anybody that you talked to in the know when he came in was that he's a relationship guy, that he's genuine, that people who are going to play for him are going to love him, that he's not going to put up with with garbage from you know from from players who come in and nonsense. Um, and and we sort of saw that last year again. Don't know all the details, but Brenton Cox getting kicked off the team in the middle of the, in the middle of the year, you know, indicates that that is true. Um, and look, the people who are playing for Napier right now swear by him, and so you got all that relationship stuff that, that that's always been important in recruiting you've got playing time to sell. You've got the facilities, you've got all that stuff. And now you've got everybody rowing in the same direction. It seems like when it comes to the newer aspects of recruiting, whether it be the facilities, whether it be um, you know NIL and those sorts of things as well. And so I think that's what you're probably seeing in terms of there being an uptick, or at least if I was going to say, why should you be hopeful that specifically offensive line recruiting is going to uptick? I would say it's because it feels like there's some continuity and there's some real um, synergy between all the organizations that are working together to bring guys in for the Gators.
0: All right, let's keep it going right here. Armand Jones, does Trey Wilson, and that's Eugene Wilson, in case uh, some of you don't know his nickname, Trey, but Eugene Wilson, uh, does he come in and earn playing time in the fall? That's the first part of the question, Will. And I'll say yes. I mean, this offensive, these these, these wide receivers on the offense, of course, you know, we have, we saw Marcus Burke with a touchdown catch, uh, Marcus Burke with a big time catch on the sideline, uh, Caleb Douglas with nice catch and runs, but a fumble there at the end. Andy Gene, his you know one catch there that the, he's making moves and uh, bowling over people there getting physical as a receiver. We saw Myzel's speed on this play, but you know there's still room for wide receivers and of course quarterback play is going to come into this as well as you know how just how far Florida can go down the depth chart at receiver. But there's probably still looking for some playmakers, guys that, guys that can step in. And to me, right now, even Eugene Wilson, used to be, I mean we see all the training videos out there. He looks like he can come in and step in right away. Uh, and maybe contribute for this Gator wide receiver core. But can he earn playing time in the fall? Or, I mean, does he come in and earn playing time in the fall is what Jones asked. Um, I'll say yeah. I mean, I, I think I think it's wide open still at wide receiver. And, um, you know, two true freshmen went through it as early enrollees uh, in, in the spring. But Eugene Wilson was thought maybe to be the best of the wide receivers Florida brought in. Just unfortunate he didn't get to go through. Spring practice. So, you know, given his recruiting profile, given just still depth at the position, yes, I do think Eugene Wilson can come in and earn some playing time. Look, I mean, he's a smaller guy, right? I mean,
1: listed he's five foot 165 pounds. That might impact some of it, right? They might want to get him in and get him get some get some mass on him before they put him out there in the SEC. I think maybe the first place you would look for him is special teams, like somebody who's that gifted, who's that fast, and has that sort of change in direction, returning punts, returning kickoffs, and especially if that means you can protect Trevor Etienne and not have to have him do it, then that's a real value But man...
0: Even in the spring game, he looked good doing that the other night. <laughs> oh, he does.
1: He he looks awesome. He's a, <laughs> etn's a difference maker, yeah. and I don't want them to not have him do that. But at the same time, like you'd rather have him yeah. not get injured on a kickoff return, right? right. So, if
0: somebody, yeah, like you're right. If somebody could come in and prove, all right, well, you can at least equal ETN, then all right, we'll get him off of some kickoff returns.
1: Well, my point is that's all instinct, right? Kickoff returns is kickoff returns and punt returns are typically instinct. And so if Wilson shows that sort of ability on kickoff returns, that's a place he could probably control. Quickly, where he doesn't even need to know the playbook, right? He just needs to be able to use his instinct to go. The other thing is, is and I think this gets overlooked a lot of times, is his father played in the NFL for the Patriots, won two Super Bowls. And so this is a kid who grew up around the game, was you know, had someone who could explain to him the intricacies of different things that were going on in the sport, like when he was four and five years old. And it's almost like you know, Mozart's dad played piano. And all of a sudden you've got this guy who's able to be a savant because he had sort of the grounding. Now, look, I'm not saying that Wilson's going to be a savant, but what I'm saying is he's got all the groundwork. It's not like some kid who, who hadn't played football until he was a junior in high school and had all sorts of physical skills. This is a kid who will have refined all of his physical skills. His route running should be terrific. You know, he's a guy who's been able to go practice against NFL guys, right, because of his father and who he is. And so – um, you know, that, that's the thing where you, you look at a true freshman coming and go, well, will he be ready? It's like, OK, like the, the playbook he's going to see from Florida is going to be less complex than playbooks he's seen before, which is an unusual thing when you have a true freshman coming in. So from that standpoint, I think you'll be able to get him up to speed pretty quickly. And then it'll just be a question of how good have these receivers been during the during the, uh, the spring practice. And, and is he able to displace
0: some of those guys? Well, I think another reason to I, I think he's still a little bit different than what Florida has. I still don't know if they have that guy with a ball in their hand, making, you know, making plays. I, you know, guys run routes and catch the ball. That you know, I think they may have plenty of those and, and guys who maybe fit the same mold. I still don't know if they have many people besides the Pearsall, Andy Gene, to an extent as well. Maybe if the of the, you know, catch catch something short and, and make something happen. I do think a lot of these guys are your possessions you make plays down to field types but the guys are going to catch your screens the guys will maybe take a reverse a, a sweep i do think you know that's where wilson can fit in i don't know if florida has a lot of competition in that particular wide receiver room
1: yeah i mean look i think there's a lot of excitement around these three wide receivers there should be but you're not probably going to get more than one guy who contributes their true freshman season yeah. um, and in fact it sort of goes back to the stuff we were saying about austin simmons is do you really want all three of these guys contributing as freshmen? One, that says something about the guys you have in front of them. But two, <laughs> like if you redshirt them, then everybody starts hitting with Lagway and with Simmons. Um, if if you burn a year this year and they all turn out to be great, they're gone before you have an opportunity to actually, um, to actually really turn into an explosive offense. Now look, that's a good problem to have. You'd love to have guys out there who play really well. I just, I think it's, it's great to see these guys see their potential, see their skills and dream about all three of them turning into elite guys. That doesn't happen very often. It's happened to Florida a couple of times, but that doesn't happen very often. And so I think we should be pleased if one of these guys turns into a star, and just say look we got a star out of these three and then let's go get Jeremiah Smith in 2024 mm-hmm. and then you got two stars and you just sort of build that sort of funnel of all these guys coming in because it's hard to hit on three guys i don't i think the percentages are probably pretty low that all three of these guys turn out to be awesome it might be wilson but it might be mizell it might be gene we don't really know but i'm assuming one guy will probably be pretty good support one guy probably won't pan out that well maybe transfers out and then one guy turns into a star that'd be a really good haul for those three guys
0: you hush your mouth, Will. All three of them. All three of them. Go, <laughs> um, all right, here we go. Keep it going right here. Is Devin Moore going to miss significant time? I don't believe so, Armin. Um, I hope I'm saying your name, right? Uh, Armin Jones. Um, I don't believe so. I think it was more from what I was hearing, precautionary for the injury, the, his shoulder injury that he's still recovering from from last year. Uh, did go through a, a lot of spring ball, just not a, a lot of non-contact. Uh, but, would maybe not going through the contact part of it. Uh, he continues that question, or maybe missing some time if he re-aggravates it for whatever reason or something like that. If so, who takes that cornerback two spot? Um, he goes. I saw Hill playing star in the game. Uh, yeah, so Hill doesn't like that that move for nickel star is going to be a you know full time move or at least for the most part him getting his main reps at that star. As I mentioned, they were back to back plays where he come in on the blitz. Uh, So uh, it was like, he is going to have that role. So, Will that brings up, I think, you know, Jalen Kimber, who, from what I was told, um, got impressive all through as spring progressed uh, and was really a a guy they could count on in that second cornerback spot. Uh, by the time the spring game rolled around. And, of course, I don't think you can overlook Jakeem Jackson as well as a true freshman and put him in that mix. So, hopefully, Devin Moore is there back in the fall, ready to compete fully healthy. And he's what we were talking about last fall as a guy who can come in and and really maybe even push for that second quarterback spot just a year ago. Hopefully, he can do it in the second year fully healthy. But if not, Kimber had a nice spring. And also, yeah, Jakeem Jackson, who he was – created a few bit of turnovers uh, in, in the spring. So I do think there's some nice competition. I, I, I remember coming in the spring saying, hey, I thought this was one battle that was really, really going to take place throughout spring. One, I was really looking forward to. It looks like, at least for good reasons, that competition will continue into the fall because I think they have some options there.
1: Yeah, I mean, we always expected Kimmer to be good. Jakeem Jackson just jumps off the tape. So I think Florida's in pretty good hands there at corner. Um, even if more is dinged up and and can't necessarily go. But I think the expectation is he will be able to go got some major reps last year and will be able to step in and and be a contributor. I think, You know The the big question for me isn't really who's on the opposite side. It's can Jason Marshall have the form that we expect him to have or expected him to have, right? That if you have a lockdown corner, you should never be a hundredth in in any sort of passing statistic, right? And so the fact that they were a hundredth indicates that it's not just one side that's locked down. He may be the starter. He may be locked down. But is he really C.J. Henderson? Is he really Tease Tabor? Is he really that kind of guy? Or you know, are we looking at a guy who you know has a five star pedigree, but is playing sort of you know that that teams don't just avoid him, that teams will actually go after him. That to me is probably the key for the year. The second guy, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to contribute, but I, I think if Marshall is not elite, then everything sort of trickles down from there. So that's maybe the guy I'd be looking for more than anything.
0: All right, keeping it going here, uh, more transfer talking. This comes from two dude. What position or positions do you expect to gain in the portal, and who do we think that forces out, i.e., portal wide receivers, the Quavion on is one of the less heralded defensive line guys like Lions or Humphreys. Uh, I brought it up, Will, so earlier on, your offensive linemen who've been around, your, your, your Riley Simons, your William Herod on the offensive line, I'm not saying these guys will, uh, but we, we'll, we'll, we will see uh, if they transfer. I, I think these are some candidates and some names you just look for uh, maybe young tight end like Andrew Savanea. I know young, um, just was part of Billy Napier's first class, but you know, can uh, with what Florida's doing at tight end and maybe even a portal option there. Uh, what's happening with uh, the guys? Um, yeah, uh, that you on the sporting ham, uh, that that's coming up. you Dante Zanders, yeah, zippers out, so that may affect the depth chart just a bit where Savanella wants to stay into the fall, but is he a guy that you're looking for? Of course, defensive lineman, it was brought up to uh, Jalen Humphreys, who's been around the program, hasn't really broken through. Florida hits the transfer portal hard, uh, and those guys really show up in the spring game right away as well, so I can see Humphries and maybe getting passed over uh, and him taking taking it out on the transfer portal. Uh, I see Lions sticking around uh, still early in the process there for him. I don't necessarily see uh, him going away, but you know on the back end, and Ethan Pouncey, Jamarcus Weston, who just switched there, Dakota Mitchell, who we haven't heard a whole lot from either. Uh, you know, I think if you're looking for possibilities, Will, all that group I just named uh, are probably guys I'd be looking out for maybe to to, to, to maybe hit the transfer portal. But for position gain, uh, I can see you know if a certain – and I'm not saying – you know naming anyone in particular in my mind. I'm just saying if a certain wide receiver the staff likes – and they really, if they really value – I can see a wide receiver coming in uh, to the transfer portal. Uh, with Zip's injury, do, uh, does, the, does the staff look at tight end uh, to maybe fill that in with? Offensive line, I've heard up to two. Uh, maybe if they can get the right two, uh, especially at tackle. Uh, I, don't, I do think tackle is in play. Uh, and experience safety. I think that's one of the biggest needs, Will, Uh, When you look at Miguel Mitchell, Kamari Wilson, a true sophomore is getting their starts and then behind them are true freshmen. I think if you can get an experienced safety now, you know, why wasn't that experienced safety in the first part of the transfer portal? And maybe, you know, being a part of of the second one, what kind of talent are you getting in this second transfer wave? But if there is an experienced safety out there, they'll be targeted for sure. Uh, And to keep it going, I'll go to the next question and we can kind of wrap it up here. Um, Anthony Pope, too, says, why are we going after a transfer edge when we have Princely and Powell as the vets uh, and Collins, Searcy, Pyburn, as young development guys? Seems like a full room unless they plan on switching guys to new positions. Uh, That one kind of took me by surprise a bit, too. And I could see maybe edge... Um, well, if there's just an outstanding instant impact guy, uh I, I do think you know that they, they they they'll look at it. Uh, but that one's not a need. I don't think there will be many reaches uh there for you know, Billy Napier did say in, in a speaking engagement there, Edge was one position he named by by position of where they would probably look in a transfer portal. I was kind of surprised to hear that. But if there's just a non, you know, if there's a can't miss Edge rusher, which you know, I do think this defense uh, can use all the edge rushers they can get. Uh, I like what Princeley brings to the table and Powell as well. Uh, but if there's one that is a can't miss that this staff identifies, you know, then then you go get. But to me, safety, I think, given the lack of experience at that position, is where you really got to hit.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I I just look at quarterback and tight end; those are the two, <laughs> two places. Those are the two places, right? There's zero experience behind Dante Sanders. And, and Odom, Zipper is obviously injured until next year. Odom was injured in the Oregon State game. And there's just nobody other than Dante Sanders who has any experience at all. And it's great to see Arliss Bordingham and Livingston make a couple of catches there in the spring game. But let's be honest, like, it, it's trouble if your whole offensive identity is based on the tight end and – you're just now getting essentially true and redshirt freshmen sort of their first run at that position. So I, I think that's a place where they're absolutely going to target, especially given some of the limitations that they have a quarterback. We've already talked about that, that there's probably somebody coming in who's going to, who's going to push Mertz and Miller and Brown, um, I don't think Napier's happy with that position yet. And I actually do think that Edge, because Edge is a different position than defensive end, and because they're going to teach different things. So I think people oftentimes think about Powell Ryland and Human Milan as sort of interchangeable. They're really not. Um, the responsibilities for the edge guy has a lot more in coverage and a lot less setting the edge. The defensive end has a lot more edge setting and a lot less um, dropping into coverage. And so it takes a different skill set. Those guys are different sizes. And, uh, you know, look, human Melan and Justice Boone are, are pretty good. you got Kelby Collins, who's gotten a lot of rave reviews. So, yeah, I agree with you. Like, you don't bring in a middling guy just to come in and take snaps away from Collins or Boone at the same time. You know, if you get a guy who can be an impact guy at defensive end, given what Florida was able to do. With a pass rush last year, you got to take an opportunity to do that. Like, and I like Human Mealin, I like Powell Ryland, but none of those guys just jumped off the screen when you looked at them. It wasn't like Harold Perkins, where you looked at right. LSU and go, Oh, that guy just absolutely jumps when he's on there. Now, I'm not saying they're going to have an opportunity to get Perkins, but you think about John Grenard coming through yeah. the transfer portal. That was somebody that Todd Grantham knew, and he came in and was an immediate difference maker. So, if they can manage that kind of guy at that position, I would do it. Other than that, you know, honestly, I, they have decided to go youth movement. And so I don't see a lot of value in bringing in a safety unless you just have zero confidence in Miguel Mitchell and Kamari Wilson. I, they might, and I suppose I understand why they would, but I still look at it and I go, you decided to go youth movement. And some of that maybe was their decision. Some of that was other people decided to transfer. But, you know, they are heavy, heavy, heavy freshmen, redshirt freshmen and sophomores and have done that intentionally in many ways. That's the way they've decided to build. And so why then do you reverse that and go, well, we'll bring in juniors and seniors in the transfer portal to take time away from those guys? Now, tight end, I look at it and I go, there isn't anybody in the middle. You're not taking time away from anybody. Mm-hmm. If you have a junior at the tight end, those guys still have three years development time. But Mitchell and Wilson, I mean, those are guys who, they're sophomores. They should be getting ready to play major snaps at a at a, at a Power 5 school if they're, if they're high-level recruits who come in. And so uh, that's a place where I, you know, I wouldn't be disappointed if they didn't bring in a safety. You know, maybe I'll change my tune after we see them play in the first couple of games. But uh, you know, I hope not. I think those guys are really skilled. The question will be, are they ready to step in? And at some point, you got to find that out. You can't just patch the holes endlessly.
0: Um. Yeah. I think, like I said, offensive line. Uh, there, there's going to be some targets there. Uh, well, I think you know when you look at this, and I know a lot of people will compare transfer portal windows and the second one will be well it's guys who didn't maybe get a lot of time in the spring so i can see some of these options being developmental pieces because of that reason uh, but also maybe some of your smaller school guys who just now get the realization that they want to go to a bigger school you know they that they played a lot of football but now they want to get notice on the bigger stage. Uh, so I do think, you know, this could be those type of names out there as well when you're looking at the transfer portal. So yeah, I do. Um, I think uh, I think Florida sits at 82 right now, I believe with the scholarship chart. So they got about three, three spots now as it stands, I expect maybe some more transfers out as we just went through that list. Uh, and then, you know, you got even more. So Uh, No harm, no foul, uh, bringing bringing some of these guys in. Uh, But, yeah, I I think it's going to be, Will, for the next, I think, couple of weeks here, hot and heavy movement on the transfer portal recruiting trail.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, everybody should look and see what happened with Osiris Torrance. He's about to get drafted in the first round as a guy who went from Louisiana to Florida, was able to perform and, you know, becomes an All-American and um, just based on the visibility, right? Like Osiris Torrance had the ability two years ago to be an All-American. He just didn't have the profile. He didn't have the the platform to get to that point. He comes to Florida, all of a sudden he has that platform. Guy's an All-American. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. And so, uh, you know, that sort of... Um, exposure is important. The SEC is the best conference in the country. It's not even close, and it's going to get better <laughs> next year with <laughs> Oklahoma and Texas coming in. And so it's the fulcrum of college football, and there are a lot of guys who want to be there. And so, look, there's going to be some opportunities here, probably with guys who even Florida has a roster spot that's open. Maybe they even start for a smaller school, and they just decide, I got the opportunity to go get the exposure of playing in a place like Florida to be a first-round draft pick like Osiris Torrance. And, and, you know, guards don't go on the first round that often so yeah. that sort of exposure makes a huge difference and if I'm Napier and company I'm selling the crap out of that Go because ahead. I'm sitting there going come here yeah you might start at Tulane you might start it at UCF you might start it at Houston or something like that come here because you get a level of exposure you can't get anywhere else. You're gonna play LSU and Georgia and and Arkansas and Kentucky and you're and Tennessee and you're gonna be on and Utah, you're gonna be on national TV every single week against a good opponent. You put solid stuff on film, you're gonna to go to the NFL and you're gonna go quick. So come here. I mean, I think that's an easy or an easier sell than someplace else. And so uh, you know, when they come in the portal is kind of immaterial. And yeah. it's it's more a question of, you know. Does your sales pitch match with what they're trying to hear? And then can they perform when they get there?
0: Yep, so I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, like I said, we'll, we'll see. Um, I know some people will bring up, and we'll, I'm pretty sure this is the case, and this will be the last point I make, quarterback as well. And people are bringing up that old Miss quarterback battle. But my thing is, and I'm pretty sure this is the case, all three of those guys are transfers. Jackson Dart transferred in from USC last year. Uh, Walker Howard this year, Spencer Sanders this year. So if any of those guys transfer again, they have to sit a year. So you're not getting the luxury of you know if I know if a lot of people will point to that battle and say, hey look, that's a three that's a tough competition. It's a three man battle. you know the loser of that will probably be looking for the transfer portal, but yeah, if they are, they got to go sit another year. Let's go get Arch Manning cuz he
1: just lost the <laughs> he just lost the battle of Quin Ewers. Let's let's go get him man. I Look, there are going to be names thrown all over the place. The reality is is that um... I don't know that there's going to be a lot of traction with any of these sorts of things, but there's a lot of battles going on. And as we saw with Burrow at Ohio state, who loses the battle to Wayne Haskins and turns into a star that happens sometimes, but there's plenty of times where guys transfer from one school to another. I mean, geez, JT Daniels, how many times has he transferred now? He's like, he's like as old as Stetson Bennett at this point. And you know, he's just transferred around a lot and and has not been able to um, really take hold of a starting job up to this point. And so those guys exist too. And so we look at it and we look at Mertz and we look at Miller and we go, the grass is always greener. And sometimes it's not. So it's sort of the same thing you were saying about the edge. Like if you've got a guy who can be a difference maker, bring him in. But then, you know, what one of the the listeners had said there about is – is he just sort of – is merch just sort of keeping the seat warm for DJ Lackway? I mean, there's no shame in that, right? There's no shame in winning seven or eight games, showing major improvement on the defensive side of the ball, realizing that quarterback is a place you have to upgrade. And, hey, look, there's a five-star recruit coming in who just might be able to do that. So um, – Yeah, I I just look at it and say this is a developmental year. We need to understand that. If you're trying to put quick band aids on it, you're probably going to be disappointed. But there are places where you can strategically bring in guys who aren't just necessarily band aids, but in many ways are also sort of point in the right direction. Teach the guys how they have to work and are a cultural fit, and you got to make sure of all those things
0: there we go all right good questions there thank you gators breakdown plus members for submitting those questions there in the discord today there's more so i'll either try to get to them in another maybe just member only episode or we'll come back around and, and, and hit them next episode or something i'll, I'll make that decision uh, later on this week but uh Will, man, thanks for hopping on. We're wrapping up spring ball here. I know, like we said, transfer portal will be hot and hip. So pay attention uh, out there. There's probably going to be a whole lot of fake tweets <laughs> and all kind of stuff going on there to keep your head on the swivel about the transfer portal out there. But we'll have you covered right here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, will, man, anything else?
1: No, man, just really appreciate you having me on. Appreciate you helping us. Uh promote that, promote the magazine. It's, it's uh, a labor of love for us. It's one of those things where um, we weren't sure it was going to be well-received. It was pretty, pretty well-received last year. And uh, so again, thank you. So you can go find it at slash mag You can pre-order it. Um, we'll be shipping out hard copies this year, um, or you can get the digital version if you want when it when it officially comes out on Memorial Day. But uh, we're excited. We're excited. You know the 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 headline there is you got what to expect in year two for Billy Napier. We're going to talk about ETN. Can he build on his freshman breakout? Talk about NIL all sec predictions what's going to happen with austin armstrong and all that sort of stuff so it's gonna be cool and uh, hopefully people enjoy it
0: yeah well so it definitely you got some uh as we we're just talking about transfer portal here you absolutely have some updates to put in there with florida victoria's getting announced last week and the florida's new nil venture there and the transfer portal all coming up so you got right. some you got some late revisions to the to, to the magazine <laughs> Well, that is the complication with releasing this thing
1: on Memorial Day. So uh, my guess is, is that what we'll probably do is is we'll probably send something out that's an update yeah. that's just a digital version for people once the transfer portal really settles. There's a lot of film stuff in there that I really wanted to focus on this year that is more what's the ape you're trying to do on offense, what are some of the concepts you can look for. Um, sort of the ethos of our site has always been we want people to be a smarter fan. And I think we've tried to put more of that into this year's magazine to make sure that that when people are watching, they'll see stuff and be able to go back and go, oh, yeah, I saw that in the magazine. And that's sort of what we want it to be. So, uh, you know, if, if you're sort of a film nerd, it'll be fun. There's some there's some uh, we're, we're embracing the true nerddom of, of the site because we uh, got you know, we got, got <laughs> we got tons of stats in there. And then there's going to be some film breakdowns and stuff like that. Everything that hopefully you like over at Read and Reaction and uh, sort of trying to put it in a, in a preseason magazine form. Hashtag nerdball there you go, man. There we go. You got to embrace it. Got to embrace who you are, <laughs> and uh, you know that's why I got the glasses. I had to, I had to upgrade because uh, you know I couldn't see.
0: All right, there we go. Read and reaction season preview coming out soon. Pre-order it one more time. Read dot com slash mag. Help Will and Nick out there with some really great insight on this of Gator football team coming up this year. So, all right, that to do it for this episode of Gator's Breakdown. I am your host David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC for Will. Ladies and gentlemen out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown.